Now, before we uh, jump into the teaching, I want to uh, go ahead and give us a little bit of a review from the last couple of days or last couple of weeks, and uh, hopefully this will help all of us. We are in the middle of a series called Flow, and basically what we've been talking about is how do we get into the flow of God and how do we stay there and don't get stuck in the midst of that. And we've had a passage of scripture that has kind of been the focus of our time together, uh, words that Jesus uh, gave in John 7:38. And uh, let's read this out loud together in one voice. Let's read it out loud. Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within them. So that if we have a belief in God, that there is this flowing spirit that is present and leads us to a promised life. And that's what we've been talking about. How do we live in that promised life? And the New Testament is clear that God wants to give us a promised, abundant kind of life. Now, we've also talked about the fact that the reality is we get stuck in a reality that is very different than the promised life. And that it falls way short of the way that you want your life to look like. And so what people do is that they see this gap in between the promised life and reality, and they have strategies to try to bridge the gap. And people try all different things to bridge that gap, but nothing seems to work. And then we talked about, though, that there is a gift that Jesus gave to us uh, after he died on the cross and he rose again and he ascended back to heaven. He said, I'm leaving you a gift so that you are able to make it to the promised life. And that gift is the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit given to us that we can tap into and stay afloat in Anytime. And this whole series is about how do we stay in the flow of the Spirit rather than getting stuck in reality. Now last week, if you were here, there was an artist that drew some pictures. That was truly amazing. I won't necessarily say that he's Rembrandt or Monet, but he's close. And uh, this is what I drew last week. Does anyone know what this is? The brain. <clears throat> that is the brain. And what we talked about is that what is between your ears, what is in your brain, what is in your mind, the thoughts that come, that the whole point of staying in the flow of the Spirit is a battle of the mind. It's a battle in the brain. Now, we have thoughts that are going all the time. You know, jokingly, I talked last week, you know, you're sitting there right now, and you're like, oh, it's too cold. Oh, it's too hot. Oh, what am I going to do next? I'm looking to the person beside me. Oh, they smell a little bit. They didn't really put deodorant on. Um, you know, on and on and on. Uh, I had a bug that came toward me early this morning, and I stomped on it, and it's over there. And so in my mind, here we are singing about Amazing Grace, and I'm stomping the bug. You know what I mean? And sometimes you're thinking, oh, that guy up there right now, he just said, but, you know? And so it's like all of this is going in your brain. It's flying all the time. And there are some things called dirty rags that can prevent the flow coming to us. And we've talked, we're going to be talking about this 
for the next few weeks about these rags that prevent us, that cut us off from the flow of the Spirit. And here's the first one. I kind of gave you an acronym so you could remember it easier. But the first one is R, which stands for resentment. And we're going to talk about that more in a little bit. Now, next week, we're going to talk about anxiety. So if any of you have ever battled any anxiety in your life whatsoever, you will want to be here next week and the week after that. The next two weeks, we'll be talking about that. And then we'll spend a couple of weeks on greed and a couple of weeks on superiority. And again, the whole thing that we're learning is that these are the rags that prevent us from staying in the flow of the Holy Spirit. Now this morning, I want to talk about a particular one, the very first one, which is resentment or anger. Ephesians 4.26 says this, and let's read this out loud together. Let's read it in one voice. In your anger, do not sin. Now what happens with a verse like this is that you're looking at the person beside you, and you're going, in your anger, do not sin. But that's really not the way it's supposed to be taken. It's in your anger. And the person who's sitting in your seat, in your anger, do not sin. Now what's revealing about this scripture is that it's very clear that it's telling us that all of us experience anger. Anger is a part of the human experience. It is a human emotion that we all have. In fact, Jesus even got angry. We're told a story in which uh, one day he walks into the temple, the uh, church of Jesus' day, and as he walks into that temple, he notices that there are people who are selling things. Goods and services are being sold. Animals are being sold. Uh, money exchanges are happening. It would kind of be like if we had AT&T, Comcast, you know, and Sprint, and they're all in here, and they're selling stuff while you're in church. And Jesus walks in, and he sees this, and he gets ticked off. And the scripture tells us that he knocks over the money changers' tables. He uh, takes a whip out, and he whips the animals to get them out of the temple. He yells at the people, finally, these words. He says, get out of here and stop turning my father's house into a market. Jesus got angry. But he didn't sin. The problem with you and me is that when we get angry, we often, if not most of the time, we sin. You see, Jesus had a righteous anger, a righteous indignation as he was in this temple. He was fighting for the Father. You and I, we fight for ourselves, and we get angry when other people don't do what we want them to do. We blow it. We go off. We hurt feelings. We cause pain. But the reality is we have the power through the Holy Spirit. You and I have the power through the Holy Spirit to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and get angry but not sin if we stay in the flow of the Holy Spirit. Now let me ask you this question this morning. Who is responsible for how you handle anger? Who is responsible for how you handle anger? You're looking at people around you, aren't you? It's like, you. You are responsible, okay? That is not the right answer, okay? The right answer is I am. So I'm going to ask this question again. I want you all to point to yourselves, okay? No, don't point to me. Point to yourselves, okay? 
And uh, when I ask this question, the correct answer is, I am, okay? Who is responsible for how you handle anger? I am. I am. Now, for much of my life, I have struggled with anger. It's one of those things that I'm not proud about. I've grown a lot, but uh, there are things in my past I'm not happy about. When I was a little kid and I would uh, not get my way, I would get angry. And I remember throwing things. I remember kicking doors. In fact, I kicked a door to the bathroom because my sister was taking too long in the bathroom and it put a hole in the door. And we lived in a parsonage, which is basically the church owns it, but you live in it. And I thought my dad was going to kick me out. And he didn't know. He got these plates. And he couldn't just put the plate on one door. He had to put it on all the doors. So they didn't know that, you know, this kid who was out of control with his anger had kicked the door. So we have these plates now all in the parsonage there in Marion, Indiana. And I remember getting uh, so angry sometimes when my parents would say certain things. I'd run out of the house. I'd be gone for uh, a couple of hours. Those were back in the days where parents didn't care, and they're like, good, you're gone, you know. Um, now we have helicopter parents, and they're, you know, concerned all the time, but uh, that wasn't the case. And uh, then when I became a teenager, um, and I got involved in sports, I was, I was getting pushing matches, shoving matches, uh, got in some fights. I remember when I was in my early 20s playing basketball in Noblesville, and a, a kid undercut what would be my future brother-in-law, and it's a high school kid, 16 years old. I'm 20-some years old. And I push him down on the court. He falls down. I'm, like, going off on him and stuff. And, um, but then, you know, I become an adult, and I'm much more mature now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now I don't, I don't have that. No, 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 I still do. And, and then eventually I got married. And you would think that marriage, you know, you'd finally get to the point when you get married that, hey, you know, I've learned how to control my anger. And I got progressively better but it didn't really work so well. In the first three years of our marriage, uh, anger was just like a constant coming out of me, mainly because it was Jen's fault. But, you know, nonetheless, um, you think that. You just don't say it, you know. But there was an event that happened in year three that shook my world enough that made me decide that I needed to change the issue of anger in my life. Uh, in the morning, I was getting ready to leave. This was the summer in which Jennifer uh, didn't have any schooling whatsoever. And uh, she was a domestic engineer, domestic uh, wife during that time. And she said, hey, honey, I'm going to get all the ingredients for spaghetti. And when you get home tonight, we'll make it together. We'll cook it together. And she knew spaghetti is my favorite dinner. And so I'm like, oh, this will be great. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, hey, you know, we, we cook together a little bit. And and maybe later on that night, we'll be cooking a little bit more, you know what I mean? And so I'm all, I'm all about that. And so I go about my day at work. I try to get everything just right so that uh, I can get home on time. And at the end of the day, though, uh, the church I pastor was a very small church, and I was the only one who did uh, hospital calls, and we had a person in the hospital. And I was like, ah. Oh. So I had to go 40 uh, miles away because that was the closest hospital to where we lived. So I had to go 40 miles uh, to this hospital, and I get there, and this was before cell phones, and you can tell where the story is going, but I'm running late. And the only thing that she told me that morning, she's like, hey, we'll cook, and I just don't want you to be late, because it's going to be special. Please don't be late. Well, we didn't have a cell phone, so I wasn't able to call, but I could have stopped anywhere, because I stopped at a store, but I chose not to, and I just rushed around, and I walked in. I was 30 minutes late, 
and everything was out and and she has her hand on her hip as I walked through our back door and she's like where you been I was like well I had this she goes yeah I don't want to hear that you are always late you are just always late we've been married three years and you are always late now always you ever notice when you get angry you use these big words I haven't always been late and that's all I needed. And I lost it. And on the counter, there was this hamburger that she was going to use for the spaghetti. I picked it up. I threw it against the wall. I said a few expletives to my wife, being the pastor that I am. And then I walked out of the door, and I was gone for two hours. I came back. I walked in the door. And my mom, whenever I would have one of these episodes, she always cleaned up after me. I walked in the house. I don't live with mama anymore. <laughs> and there's hamburger, and it's splattered like all over this wall. It's everywhere. And Jen is nowhere to be found. I go to our bedroom. The door is closed, and the lights are out. And that was it. You see, folks, I didn't know how to handle my anger. And so one of the things that I had to do at that point in time was I need to get some counseling. And so I went to some counseling and I took some uh, anger management courses and I started to learn how to do that. And one of the strange things about the anger management course that I took was that they said there are things that you can actually do before the anger ever gets there. And my Christian counselor said, yeah, there are. And the thing that he challenged me to do was this thing that I'm going to challenge you to do today and it's this that you seek solitude you seek solitude daily that if you're struggling with anger my best advice that i could give to you is that you prepare yourself before the anger arises like long before the anger even shows itself you're already preparing yourself and how do you do that you do that by seeking solitude daily. Now, Jesus was our prime example for doing this. Jesus constantly was going off to seek solitude by himself. In Mark chapter 1, there's this big crowd of people that he has healed, he's taught, he's done all kinds of miraculous things for. But the scripture says this. It says, very early in the morning... I mean, he's like a rock star. He's Bono at night. But very in the, early in the morning, this is what it says. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a, what's it say? Solitary place where he prayed. Often throughout his ministry, that's what Jesus would do. And the disciples would say, no, 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 you're a rock star. Stay here. And he'd say, no, 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 I'm going off to be with the Father. He knew the importance to make space for God. And I just wonder for some of you, are you making space for God? Maybe you did at one time, maybe you're hit or miss, but the reality is if you were to sit there and you were honestly to assess, I don't make solitude a daily experience of my life. And you might be asking, well, how do I do that? How do I make space for God? Well, you follow Jesus's footsteps. You have to pull yourself away, folks. You have to pull yourself away from the busyness of life 
if you're going to be in silence and solitude. You might have to get up a little bit earlier. You may have to wait until the kids get to bed. You may have to decide that in the middle of the day, that's that's when you're going to do it, at lunch. Whatever it is, you pull away from everything else and you connect with God. And it doesn't matter if it's 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever. It doesn't matter so much how long the time is that you're doing it consistently every single day. In your program today, you received a uh, little solitude gift for you. Now, whether or not you choose to actually take this and spend some, some time in solitude, that's up to you. But we have a gift of a scripture verse and question for the next five days that you can have moments of solitude just between you and God. And what it'll do is you'll find if you do that, your day will be reduced by the anger that may come from you. And you can enter into solitude and quiet. And folks, the reason why you want to do this is because it's solitude that helps your brain and your mind focus more on things above. In fact, Colossians 3 says this. Look at this scripture. Let's read it out loud together. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You see, when you enter into solitude, what happens is you you get this eternal perspective. Because you're connecting with God, and when you're connecting with God, you have this perspective with God. And all of a sudden, He begins to start showing you and helping you and prompting you of what matters most, what really matters most. And your petty agendas and my petty agendas and our own need for approval and accomplishment go away, and we're able to be humble and open to the flow of the Spirit. We get open to the flow. And we increasingly see that we really don't deserve anything anyways. Therefore, we should not be treated like many gods walking around to where everything turns upon us. You see, when I analyze where does my anger come from, most of the time, folks, it stems from a resentment that someone has stepped on my self-esteem. Someone has threatened my self-esteem. And when that happens, then I get angry. When that happens to you, you get angry. Maybe I feel like an injustice has happened to me. Maybe I feel like an injustice has happened to one of my friends. Maybe I feel like an injustice has happened to my family. Rights are taken away. But in solitude, what happens is when I'm quiet enough, God reminds me that he has his eyes on me, that he's okay with who I am, that I'm treasured, that I'm loved, that I'm his child, that what other people say really don't matter as I go through this day, and I can go through a day in the flow of the Holy Spirit. Not in the flow of the world, not in the things of the earth, but in the flow of God. He gives me the power to do that when I'm quiet before him. And as I fill my mind with this book, that's why this is a love letter from God to you. And every time that you read these words, it fills your mind with things above. And as I pray, all of a sudden I'm connecting to the one who knows me best, who loves me most, And he gives me a perspective that is eternal. And all of a sudden, the small things don't seem that big anymore. So before you go to work, spend some time in solitude. 
Now, the reality is, folks, anyone who you rub shoulders with, there could be a moment of friction or tension. Have you ever noticed that? If you're around another human being, if they have a pulse, there can be friction or tension that happens between the two of you. So we need to withdraw and prepare our soul, souls and seek solitude. Because this is what I found. That it is downright dangerous for Chris Bunch to be with people if I haven't been alone with God. Let me say that again. It is downright dangerous for me to be with other people if I haven't first been alone with God. And so daily, what I do, it's part of my focus, is I spend time with Him at the very beginning of my day. It might be two minutes, five minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. It depends on the day. But I spend time with Him at the very beginning of the day, seeking His flow, because it is the best anger prevention I know. It's the one thing that can prevent anger from consuming me for the rest of the day. Now, another way that you can prepare for anger is actually knowing what is your expression of anger. What is your style of anger? And uh, to be able to kind of give you a visual example of this, I have my good friends, uh, Nate and Stephanie Bollinger. Uh, give them a hand. They're going to come up and help us. And if you can stand there, stuff, and maybe if you want to stand over here. Okay. Now, uh, this is the scenario. Um, Stephanie is mad at Nate. She is furious. She is ticked off. Be mad. Give me a mad look. There you go. That's not mad. I've, I've seen you mad before. I can do better than that. Okay. She is mad and she is ticked off. And this is the thing with Stephanie. She is a spewer. She spews out her anger. So Stephanie is venting. She's angry towards Nate. And she gets real angry. And finally she's had it. And she just spews her anger in his face. All right. Now, how did that make you feel? No, no, don't give him that yet. How did that make you feel, Steph? Good? Yeah, okay. So she gets, naturally, you don't just stay angry for a little bit. You got to get angry more, right? Because this is only 1130 right now. So she gets angry more. Go ahead. And she spews just more in his face, okay? And it, did you hear what she said? She said, it actually felt good. And for spewers, it does feel really good for the moment. All right, that's enough. Give him a towel now uh, that he can wipe off. They'll come back here in just a second. Let's give him a hand again. Thanks, Nate. Now, if you're a spewer, people may not tell you, but that's what it feels like. And that's what it seems like, is that just like this water of anger that goes right in your face. And there's this myth, though, that's out here that that's the healthy way to solve anger. In fact, that's the way we see it on television all the time. 
You know, they get mad at each other. They yell at each other. They cuss at each other. And wow, man, that's good. That's healthy. No, it's not. The problem is that that's not a good way to handle it. But if you're a Christ follower, what happens is you feel really good. And Christ followers do this. They, they spew it out. But then all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, or 20 minutes later, or 30 minutes later, or a couple hours later, it doesn't feel as good as it did at the beginning. And for the person who is the victim on the other side of the one who had spewed their anger out, it's not so funny. And it causes pain. It causes hurt. And it causes scars. In fact, I bet you can remember the person, the place, and what they said, the exact words of some people who have spewed their anger into your life. I bet you can remember even the words. And worse yet, for some people, what happens is it doesn't just end with words, but sometimes it comes into pushing and shoving and physical abuse. And if you're in one of those relationships, get out. If you need help, come talk to me. Talk to the elders. Talk to the church. Don't stay in that. And for those of you who are spewers, who would say, I would never do that. I would never cross that line. I guarantee you, people who... Um, are convicted of battery, they never felt like that was going to end in something else. But it did. Now, if you're a spewer, I want to give you some practical suggestions of how to help in the midst of this. These aren't in your notes, but you can write them down. Uh, For some of you, this might be a lifesaver. So here's the first practical suggestion when you are provoked by anger as a spewer. And it's this. Stop, think, and pray. You stop and think and then pray. Now, firemen, when they teach our kids, what do they teach us? Stop, stop, drop, and roll, right? Well, in the same way, when anger comes and you're about ready to spew it, you stop, you think, and you pray. Anyone remember the quarter second uh Concepts I gave last week. Anybody remember that from last week? Uh, Boy, I'm really impacting lives, I can tell. (laughs) Anyways, um, your brain, neurologists uh, tell us, they've done all these kind of studies, that there is a quarter of a second between the impulse that comes into your brain before you have uh, the physical action. So uh, before I raise my finger, there's a quarter second. Um, Before I speak, there's a quarter second. So... God has already placed in your DNA. He's wired you in such a way that you have a quarter of a second before you have to speak. And that's a time in which you either say, I'm going to give this to the Holy Spirit, or I'm going to give this into the evil one, and I'm going to let it spew out. And so when you have that quarter second, you need to stop and think real quick and just ask the question, Holy Spirit, should I say this? Holy Spirit, should I do this? Should I respond this way? Same amount of time. And the good news is this, is that the Holy Spirit will guide you. He will prompt you. He will help you to be able to act in a way that isn't spewing everything, but actually is able to stop and think and to pray. And Jesus, folks, you can do this. He gives you the power to do this. 
Now, here's a few more suggestions that I've learned from experts. Here's one that helped me a lot uh, in that year three of marriage. Um, Take 10 slow, deep breaths. So you feel the anger starting to come, and you just go. Now, you don't, if the person's in front of you, you don't go, hold on for a second. (sighs) Okay, they're going to, that doesn't really do it. Slow, deep. It doesn't have to even be known, okay? Here's the second thing. Talk more slowly. If you're angry, all of a sudden, if you slow down your talking, you'd be amazed at how anger slows down. Next thing. If you have to, leave the room if necessary. I mean, if you're going to spew something out that you're going to just, uh, you know, leave the room. Now, this is the problem with spewers, though, because I'm a recovering one myself. We leave the room, and often we don't take that quarter second and add on to it and give us a little bit more time. We start thinking, man, they did. They messed me over. I'm going to think about my revenge plan. How am I going to get back at them? I'll get back in that ring, you know. And no, 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 no. You take that quarter second, and you add to it, and you say, Holy Spirit, I want you, I need you to help me now to resolve this in a way that would honor you. And you go back into the room. Last thing for spewers, if you're real aggressive when it comes to anger, uh, this is uh, really helpful, and it's this. If you hurt someone or you mistreat someone, make it right. Like, make it right and ask for forgiveness. You have no trouble spewing your anger out immediately. Why not immediately ask for forgiveness so that you don't carry any of that? It's, it's taken care of. And the whole goal then for spewers is that these outbursts of anger become so rare that people start to notice it and you are consistently living in the flow of the Spirit. Now, let's look at the second approach to anger. I'm going to have uh, Nate and Stephanie come back up again. And uh, you can be in your same places. And Nate, your props are right there. Now, the second kind of uh, way that people choose anger is what we call stuffers. Okay? Stuffers. So he can't, he doesn't deal with anger this way. We've got to move this over because he might be tempted today. Um, <laughs> We're going to put it over there. But if you can get those balloons right there uh, real quick. And what stuffers do is that, Nate, if you can just stand there for a second, just like that. He doesn't look angry. He doesn't act very angry. In fact, as far as Stephanie knows, he's not angry at all. But all of a sudden, he gets mad. But he doesn't spew it out. He starts to stuff. So go ahead. Start stuffing things in there, okay? But Stephanie, I know because she used to work for me, she can get you angry. And so uh, you got to, you know, you, you have to stuff more. So put some more in there. And what happens is people who are stuffers, they just keep stuffing more and more and more in that until finally, look, they look like they're a pregnant, angry person, you know, a pregnant, angry person. Look at that. Because they've stuffed. All of that in them. Okay? Again, this isn't a healthy response either. Let's uh, give them a hand for that image. So stuffers, this approach on the outset, it looks a lot more Christian though, right? It looks more healthy. They're not going off on the person, so it seems much better. In fact, in some Christian circles, they'll even tell you, oh, you should just stuff it inside. Just keep it inside. 
But that's not an appropriate way to express anger. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't walk in the temple and go, oh, they're selling cheap and that, well, I, I'll just stuff this in. Hope, hope it goes away. No, he was ticked off. It was a righteous anger. Stuffers have a tendency to think, though, that all anger is bad. That's why they stuff it. They don't really want to share it, so they just keep stuffing it more. On the surface, it looks like everything's fine, but stuffers have a tendency to do that. And these individuals may be highly conscious of their image. They think of their image, they're like, I don't want anyone else to know that, uh, you know, I'm angry, so I'll just stuff it in there. I'll stuff it more and more and more. And outwardly, it may seem like everything's fine, and they look all sweet and nice on the outside, but inside, internally, they're dealing with this great deal of resentment and anger. Now, because they stuff their anger, sometimes physical ailments come to these people. They stuff and they stuff and stuff, and then all of a sudden they get headaches, and they get migraines, and they get stomach aches, and sometimes it even leads to ulcers, all because they're stuffing their anger. Now, I'm very familiar with this style of anger because this is the style of anger that my wife Jennifer has, okay? She's a stuffer. She was raised in a family in which you didn't, uh, she in particular, uh, didn't express her anger she was to be the peacemaker of the family so she never could do that um, she talks about whenever she would get angry she would go to her room and she'd hold on to her snoopy and uh, you know that was so valuable to her because um, she just couldn't express her anger to other people now remember the illustration that i told you about the hamburger that the spewer picked it up threw it on the side it went everywhere well that night uh, jennifer did not speak to me at all she was very clear I was not to be in that bedroom, and she woke up the next morning. And she walked up to me, and I'll never forget this. This is what she said. I want you to know that I'm angry at you. And that's what I did. I started laughing. It's like, that's not anger. How can you be angry at me? It's almost like she was saying, I'm going to the store to get some more hamburger. I'll be back later. You know, it was just like nothing. You're like... Give me something anyway. And so uh, what we've had to work on is for her to be able to express her anger, whatever that is. And I'm here to, you know, let you all know she's progressed quite nicely. (laughs) And uh, she doesn't have an issue as much kind of sharing her anger with me. Now, if you are a stuffer, let me give you some practical uh, ways that can help you in the midst of your anger. The first one is recognize your anger and admit it. The thing with stuffers is they don't even recognize it. They just go, oh, I'm having a bad day. Things aren't going right. No, 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 you're angry. So you need to recognize it and admit it. Remember, those of you who are stuffers, anger is a normal human emotion. I mean, Jesus got angry. So you bring it to the light so that you don't stuff bitterness and resentment, but you actually share it. Here's a verse that stuffers uh, need to look at. Let's read this out loud together. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Jen did that constantly the first five years. She'd just go to bed mad, and I was like, what is up, you know? And we would have to work through that. Stuffers are afraid to show that. Now, spewers, we need that quarter-second delay to not spew 
But if you're a stuffer, what you need is to share your anger quickly, much more quickly than you're doing now. A second suggestion is this. Journal your anger. Journal your anger. Solitude is important for spewers, but it's also important for stuffers. That you take something out and you go, what is it that was done to me yesterday that made me angry? And you start writing that stuff down. What is it? What is the thing that really made me angry? And you write it down. And as you put pen to paper, all of a sudden it helps you not to stuff it so much because you're getting it out. Here's a third suggestion. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. Scripture says this. Speak the truth in love. Now, spewers don't have a problem speaking truth. They just don't do it very lovingly. Stuffers, on the other hand, they don't have a problem being lovingly on the outside. They just never speak any truth. Stuffers sound so loving that sometimes you wonder if anything's wrong whatsoever. But they are really deep down, they're angry about something. And the growing edge for every stuffer is to learn to speak the truth of what you're feeling. Now, this is the thing. If you're married to a stuffer, your best friend is a stuffer, you know someone who is a stuffer, after you've had an argument and everything is there, this is what I found to be very helpful in my relationship with Jen. I'll just ask this question. Is there anything else? Because what happens with stuffers is they stuff it all in, and it takes them a little bit longer to process it. I mean, a spewer, man, we just let it out immediately. But a stuffer, you may have to ask them a second time, is there anything else? And a lot of times Jen will be like, yeah, there is. And then, you know, she kind of reveals it to me. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hand whether or not you're a stuffer or a spewer, because this is the reality. If you came with someone today... They already know. They already know. But what I'd like to do is to give you a few triggers of what provokes your anger. First of all is this. A trigger that provokes anger in a lot of people is the time of day. The time of day. A time of day when you're most likely to get angry or your anger is aroused. And often it happens when you're fatigued, when you're tired, when you're worn out. For some of us, it's right when we get back from work, you know, guys will get back and they're kind of, it's just not a good time of day. And immediately, you know, if you're married or you have a girlfriend, they're like, how was your day? Like, I don't want to talk about my day because they're fatigued. They're tired. That anger can be there around the dinner time. That's a danger zone. Uh, For others of us, for me in particular, it's about nine o'clock at night when we're trying to put our kids to bed and they don't want to go to bed. And I'm not happy that they don't want to go to bed. In fact, 9 o'clock just in general uh, can be an angry time for me. Last night, uh, we went out to eat at Bob Evans. We're at Bob Evans in Newcastle because our daughter Shiloh had a ballet practice. And we're there, and we had to eat late, so it's about 8.30. It's almost 9, and I'm eating my dinner by myself when all of a sudden this little arm comes over and grabs the roll that I just put butter on. And she pulls it to herself. And I, like, grab her little arm. I'm like, don't you touch my roll. It's my roll. If you wanted rolls, let me know. I'll get you a roll, but don't touch mine. And Jennifer's on the other side. She's six. She's six. I'm like, yeah. And if she touches my roll again, she may not make it to seven. But time of day, folks, time of day can create anger out of us. Here's the second thing. When you feel like you're being hurried or you're being rushed, 
You feel like you're being hurried or you're being rushed. Now, parents, I hate to tell you this, but school is coming. And the morning process of getting everyone together and getting them all out the door can be a time where you are provoked to anger. And you need to understand that so that you don't fall into that danger. And if it is doing laughter or doing something different, do something different. Another trigger is this. Certain people in your life. There are certain people in your life that trigger anger, aren't there? Mom, dad, brother, sister. I mean, you ever go to a family event and that there's that one person and you're like, oh, it's like fireworks are almost getting, because you know they're going to say something stupid, dumb, or mean. <laughs> like you just know it's going to happen. And you're just like waiting. So certain people can do that. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Whoever it is can do that. But when you know who the people are, if you know there's a certain person that elevates the anger in your life, then you can prepare for that encounter. And you stay in the flow. Last thing. There are situations that provoke your anger. For some of you, it's traffic. You get on McGalliard, and all of a sudden people are driving like idiots, and you're like, are you kidding me? Me and me. You start, you know, telling them they're number one, and, you know, all kinds of stuff. You wave at them, you know, with not just one finger. And then, and all of a sudden, you know, that's your thing. Why? Because the situation provoked you. Or you're standing in a grocery line, and the lady before you pulls out this whole laundry list of coupons. And they start going through all of these. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, that's not a, on sale? Oh, could you take that back? And you're like, are you kidding me? You know, you're about ready to kill them. Or you get on the phone with the telemarketer. And, uh, you know, they're talking to you. Or you have to call Comcast or, you know, uh, sorry, that's my uh, latent anger. But you have to call Comcast. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're like, are you serious? All I needed to do was change one thing, you know. And, you know, 40 minutes later. You know, one place where I've noticed it a lot lately, it's probably because our kids are finally at an age where they're in sports, is I see it in soccer games. People start getting mad at the referees. They're yelling at the other kids on the other team. They yell at their own kids. This one dad was yelling at his own kid. I'm like, you're an idiot. You know, I didn't say that out loud, but I thought it, you know. And I'm like, yeah. But you have to name it, confess it, and then give it to God. Now, all of this is helpful. It helps us to know about resentment and anger and what a dirty rag it is. But if we don't have something else to put on, then none of us are going to get better. But the good news is, is that Paul gives us a brand new wardrobe of things that you and I can actually put in place of anger and resentment. What is the wardrobe that transforms us from being angry people to being image bearers of Christ? And you can just look at this next passage Um, And you can choose some of the clothing. It says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Thank you. Good, 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 good. And patience. Bear with each other. And what? Forgive whatever grievances you may have against another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then the concluding verse, which is um, like the... You know, the overcoat for everything that we have is this. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You start putting those things on and you replace your anger and your resentment. All of a sudden, 
You walk in the flow of the Spirit. You swim in the flow of the Spirit. Now, there are a couple other things that I think are incompatible with anger. It just can't happen. One is joy. If you go through your day with joy, it's incompatible with anger. Joy doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to be happy, everything's going to go well. But what it means is that as you go through your day, you're filled with gratitude and thankfulness because of what God has done in your life. That as you go through things, you don't let the small stuff affect you. And pretty soon you realize that all of it's small stuff and compared to an eternal perspective. And you go through your day and you see the joy in creation. You see the joy in people. You see the joy in even people that are weird and a little bit overwhelmed. You're like, ah, yeah, you know, whatever. You laugh at the small stuff and you finally realize that, you know, all of it's small stuff. When you have that perspective and you're in the flow. Another thing that's incompatible with anger is worship. You cannot worship God and be angry at the same time. Look at some of the songs that Chuck was just uh, leading us with the band. I am holding on to you. God will make a way. He can move a mountain. This is amazing grace. When you're worshiping God, folks, you can't be angry at the same time. That's why whether it's corporate worship or just daily, when you're in your car and you're listening to Christian music or you're uh, worshiping maybe you know by yourself at your house, when you do that, you can't do both at the same time. I cannot worry and worship at the same time. You get to choose what you're going to do. I cannot be resentful and worship at the same time. You get to choose. I cannot be angry and worship at the same time. And last thing that's incompatible with anger, it's love. You know how they often say water and oil don't mix? You know what else doesn't mix? Anger and love. Anger and love doesn't mix. That's why Jesus says choose love. Choose love, choose love, choose love. Choose it all the time. In fact, I'll give you a symbol of choosing that love, he said. So he went to a cross and he died upon it because it was the greatest symbol of love that the world has ever known. And so he says, when you wake up in the morning, you choose love. As you go through your day, you choose love. As you hang out with your family, you choose love. You just choose love. And if anger happens, and it may, if anger happens and you fall off your surfboard. Remember the first week, if you're, if you're out there and you wipe out and you say something you wish you didn't say and you hurt someone's feelings, all you have to do is wait because another wave is coming. Another wave is going to come that you can get on and you can flow back into the Spirit. And you just jump right on the board and you enjoy God's grace once again. I'd like you to stand for closing prayer. And I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. And I was just thinking that maybe what we would do today is to try to have a moment where you could be silent before God and just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you anything that you've heard during this teaching that you could take a next step in overcoming anger in your life. And so if you would, if you just bow your head and take a moment of what is that one thing that maybe I heard today, Holy Spirit come, reveal that to your people. Maybe you're not spending enough alone time with God. You need more solitude with God. 
you could make a commitment today to say tomorrow morning I'm going to spend time with you. Or maybe you've been stuffing things in. Mainly toward a particular person. You could say I'm I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to try to express that. I'm not going to spew. I'm going to do the 10 second rule. I'm going to stop, think, and pray. But right now, Holy Spirit, would you just come and would you reveal that one thing, that one next step that we can take in overcoming anger? Father, thank you so much for the gift of your Holy Spirit, the gift that can change lives. And we want to change, God. Help us this week to walk through the week where we wouldn't allow anger to provoke us to sin. That we would use some of these strategies to overcome that. We need your help. Holy Spirit, help us to stay in your flow. And God, may it be increasingly rare for people at the jar to express their anger in wrong ways. That we wouldn't be spewers or stuffers, but that we would express it in ways that honor you and then to move on. And when we offend and when we hurt, that we'd ask for forgiveness, we'd make it right. God, this week, help us to take moments of solitude so we're not consumed by anger, but we're consumed by the flow of your spirit so that your name would be made great. We pray this in Jesus' name.